right, y'all, get ready for another edition of News and Trends with your host, Dave and Lynn. Welcome, welcome, welcome to News and Trends with Dave and Lynn. I am one of your hosts, Mr. David Coker, proprietor of Dave Mark Inc., marketing specialist, media specialist, um, event planner, man about town, and all-around good guy. I'm with my partner, Mr. Leonard Young. What's going on, sir? Hey, everything is good. This is Leonard Young, CEO of National Black Guide, DelawareBlack.com, Black media specialist, and all-around good guy. How's everything going, David? Hey, man, I can't call it, man. It is it is what it is. It's a new week. Um, here it is. We're here on another Tuesday, and man, I tell you, the time's just going by so fast, man. Yeah, what do you do? No, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I mean, it's all, almost the end of the yeah. year, and one week and it's cold, and one week and it's not so cold, and then Friday is cold, and Sunday is nice. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was it's like a little uh, crazy. What was that Saturday? It was dark all day and rainy all day, and then all of a sudden the sun came out around three thirty, four o'clock. Did you mm-hmm. see that? Yeah, yeah, that, that was weird. It wasn't that bad when the sun came out. So, um, but it, you know, the weather's so crazy right now. Um, I know I was reading something the other day. They were talking about winter might be rough though, man. We might have a rough cold winter. You know, so well, I mean, I work from home, so I'm like, bring it on. Oh, yeah, I know. Rub it in, rub it in. <laughs> For some of us who still have to go into an office every day, you know. Right. But, uh, but we'll see what happens. Um, you know, um, right now, I'll just be content to take it one day at a time. Um, I just want to get through the next couple of months because I like it when it gets back around to the end of March. You know, then, you know, the weather's going to change and everything, so... That's my favorite time of year. So, okay. and 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 of course, your birthday right around that time too. So, it's well, like... my birthday's before that. So, you know, my birthday's still during the winter time. It's February. My birthday's in February. Oh, yeah. So. Okay. I knew February, yeah, March, something like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you know when it's my birthday because you know that's when I'm usually running my mouth about a big birthday party. So, right, right. So, but um, here we are, man, and um, you know, you got any plans? Um, major plans coming up? Um, not really this week. I'm a uh, piggyback. My wife has a conference in the DC area, so I'm going to piggyback with her. And then, mm-hmm. other than that, not really. My uh, my son's school football team made it to the uh, high school championships, and he's in the marching band. So that's another Friday night. I have to go out and. Uh, freeze in the cold because it, it was cold this past week but i mean other than that nothing much just relaxing and what school is that caravel oh caravel okay yeah no. okay okay i see a hand uh, up down with, with, with our, our guest but yeah, yeah. so I'm, I'm i'm excited for that okay all right cool 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 all right well speaking of our guests uh you know we are fortunate enough to have a guest on with us tonight and um matter of fact, we're gonna go ahead and um have Leonard tell you a little bit about our guest tonight. 
Yep. So our guest tonight is Aaron Bass. In 2004, he was an executive director. As executive director, founded Breakthrough Fort Lauderdale, part of the National Breakthrough Collaborative, a nonprofit uh, that served 240 students and prepared middle and high school students for college and also gave high school and college students the opportunity to teach. Mr. Bass served as president for National Breakthrough Directors Association and as co-chairman of the Fort Lauderdale Mayor's Educational Board. In 2007, Mr. Bass joined KIPP, which stands for Knowledge is Power Program, and was awarded the prestigious Fisher Fellowship given by the Fisher family, who are the owners of Gap and Old Navy, to establish KIPP Dubois Collegiate Academy. KDCA. So KDCA was the only open enrollment school to have an ACT average in the top 10 high schools in Philadelphia. His first graduating class had a college matriculation of 95% compared to Philadelphia's average of 30%. In 2014, he became chief of staff and led advocacy efforts for KIPP's expansion in Philadelphia. Under his leadership, KIPP was the only school to obtain two new charters in 2014, which expanded KIPP's four schools to 10 school to 10 in the city. In 2014 and 15, Mr. Bass was tapped by the Philadelphia Eagles to be their instructional consultant. In this role, he provided professional development to the Eagles coaching staff and directly supported the offensive coordinator, special teams coach, running backs coach, quarterback coach, and inside linebackers. In 2016, Mr. Bass was selected as CEO for Eastside Charter School, and during his tenure with Eastside, has outperformed the state and growth on the, access, on the assessment. During the 2017 academic year, Aaron took the role of principal of Eastside Charter School in addition to his role as CEO. Eastside went from the lowest performing school in the state to the second, yeah, to the second in student growth on the state assessment. In 2020, Eastside Middle School students beat the state average in all content areas. In 2021, Eastside was named a top place to work by the News Journal and the top school in the state after retaining over 90% of its staff. In 2021 and 22, Aaron Bass was named one of the most influential leaders in the state of Delaware by the News Journal. Other highlights, um, repeat lecturer at UPenn, University of Pennsylvania, as well as Temple, Franklin, and Marshall College. He served as an instructional consultant for the World Bank, future leaders of UK, U.S. Department of Education, and other community organizations. He also serves on the alumni board for Franklin and Marshall College, YMCA, YMCA, and Leadership for Black Male Educators Convening. Aaron Bass has been featured in the Wall Street Journal, CNN, Fox News, Washington Post, Inside Edition, New York Times, and many other media outlets for innovation and approach to education. So Dave, we would like to welcome to the show, Aaron Bass. Welcome. Welcome. Yeah. Wow. That, 
Yeah, that that right there was an impressive bio. My my uh, <laughs> Dave, I had to use my best reading skill. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna read the whole thing. Uh, oh, congrats, oh, did I miss something? No, okay. no, no, no. It was a lot. Congrats yeah. to your son. My son plays football for Caravel too. So, I'm, oh, does he? Yeah. So oh, he's wow. Out there. Well, um, uh, what what uh is he a starter? Is he what what position do he play? He's a freshman, so he's not been starting, but he's on okay. the line. Um, yeah. Then, well. Uh, yeah. Yep. Well, hold on. So before before Dave chip in, now, now you and I can talk some football. Car- Caravel's football team is on point, and I, I will say when I went to the game, and um, um, well, I'm sure you're out of the game, but how they uh they beat Newark forty eight to nothing. They just beat um Archmere, I think it was thirty to six, and I, I mean, and and w- one thing I would like to say so. Aaron, I, I've never personally met you. I think I'm about six, I'm six, two, six, one, six, two. And when I first went to one of the first Caravel games, the people there look kind of short. And you know, you know, you know how you get that Al Bundy syndrome where you're like, Oh man, like these people are short. They're thin. They're little. But when I say they hustle, they work, they got a lot of heart. So, um, I, I just leave that right there. But, um, I, I had to get your son's, uh, his uh, line number, so you know if, if he get in. Oh yeah, he's, but, he's um, in there. Um, but uh, Coach Joe, shout out to Coach Joe who mm-hmm. recruited Gabe there. He's was the coach of the Ducks. The Ducks was is a travel team. Gabe's team started playing at Caravel, and then Coach Joe got hired by uh, Caravel. So there's a number of Ducks on that team. And oh um, wow, he's uh, yeah, so but they they're, they're won a championship. They won a championship last year under Coach Joe with the Ducks, mm-hmm. and now. They're doing some good stuff over at Caravel, so I'm happy. Gotcha. Okay. And you know, Aaron, we, we had to leave Dave out of the football talk because he he's not knowledgeable, but <laughs> hey, hold on. First of all, you know, I'm you know, I'm a Delawarean. I know history. I know football history. And do, I know Caravel you know- has some Caravel has had some great teams over the years. It's not yeah, you know, it, it's a great it's a great uh, great school for football. I know they've had some lean years, but they're they're back in. They're back on now. So yeah, I know. You ain't gonna tell me anything. Okay. Look, all right, Dave. I'm just looking. Right. You try to act like you know something. That's all. Well, I mean, I've I've been to the games, and I mean they they're kind of hype. But okay. anyway, so let let's get back to our guest, Aaron. Um, we definitely want to welcome you to uh, News and Trends with Dave and Lynn. And of course, we read the bio. The bio is very impressive. Um, you know, I think we're both very familiar with Eastside Charter. And I'll just tell you my story. And this was probably um, shortly before you became a CEO. I was working at Moyer Academy, um, which was, of course, another charter school and a, a black charter school, which, you know, kind of had their own struggles. And we used to attend a lot of events with Eastside Charter, just recruiting, marketing. Um, plus, Eastside Charter had like a community day. So um, can you kind of tell us? about when you were selected as CEO of Eastside Charter, what exactly did you come into? And and I, I say that in terms of, you know, most black charter schools in, in Delaware had certain struggles and maybe even mm-hmm. prejudices from, you know, the state and state of education, stuff like that. So what did you come into? Was it what you expected? I I got a chance to spend some time at Eastside before I accepted the position um, with Dr. Lamont Brown, who I had known through Kip before he came down here. So I, I knew 
some ins and outs of the school. I also knew that it was in some transition because Lamont had taken a different role. So um, he was overseeing a network at the time and hadn't had hadn't been as close to the school. Um, I remember coming in to the school, then also to Delaware, and uh, we there were a number of parents that were trying to get through the front door to beat up teachers. There was wow. there was lack of community at the time. Um, there was a lack of trust, and it, it was it was an interesting place. I was excited to 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 take on the role um and then also establish trust and 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 build community support. Um it was also interesting because I had never been in a, a place that uh a parent was upset about a detention. Here's an example. And uh she said, I'm gonna tell the the governor on you. And I was like, <laughs> All right, I don't, you know, I, I have no clue, no frame of reference for that, but call whoever you want. Your child's already served the detention. I got a call from the governor's office two days later inquiring about why a child in, I think, fifth, sixth grade got a detention. And I was like, I don't even think this is gubernatorial concern. Like, I don't right. know why this is even a conversation. But I, I also learned about um, Delaware being a small state with a lot of close connections. And so it is a place that if you... Uh, if people know you in a positive light, then that expounds very quickly. And if they know you in a negative light, then that also expounds very quickly. Right. <laughs> it's I, I love Delaware. I love my time at Eastside. I think it's been a, a lot of great, great love and support. Okay. Now, of course, we read about some of the academic success you've had at Eastside. What other type of success have you had there? Um, you talked a little bit about community building. Mm-hmm. So I think the the greatest accolade is that my son is a graduate of Eastside Charter School, and uh, now he attends Caravelle, so he's playing football over there. My daughter is currently in sixth grade at Eastside. Um, When I came in, there might have been one, maybe two uh, parents who were on staff at the school where the children enrolled at the school. We've grown to, like, that's what you do. So there are a number of faculty that have come in and their, their children attend Eastside. And I think it's, and also graduates of Eastside in recent years, when you are comfortable enough to have your children attend the school that you educate at, I think that speaks volumes. And it also means that in conversations and in decisions that are taking place, it's not taken lightly because it's not other people's children. It is legit our own children who are also um, making decisions about, and and I take that very seriously. So I think that's the the greatest accomplishment. Um, I think also just the the I've never been in a place with so much potential. I've never been in a place with with so much connectivity, and Eastside still has a lot of work to do. So I'm not at all saying mission accomplished. There, there's there's a number of obstacles that continue to plague us, and we are intentionally serving in the Riverside area. Um, but I, I recall there was, there's a number of opportunities that have come up for Eastside students. And so there's, there's a lot of great things that take place. And uh, one of the state senators said, like, I really wish I was an Eastside student. And that meant a lot to me because people are recognizing the fact that Eastside is somewhere that you, you want to be because of the opportunity and the support and just, um, the, the, uh, incredible, uh, love that's in the area. Okay. And, and, you know, uh, one thing you said a lot right there when you talked about 
um, the staff having their children there. And I say, cause I remember when I was at um, the charter school, I was at, and I was doing marketing for the school and recruitment. And even though I was recruiting students to the school, I would not, you know, luckily my children were not of, of middle school age. So I didn't even have to like make that consideration, but, you know, recruiting for a school where you didn't feel comfortable bringing your kids says a lot. So, you know, I, I definitely want to give you kudos because for teachers to know the ins and out of the school and, you know, feel comfortable sending their students there really means a lot. Yeah, the the students and um, we started an honors program about three plus years ago, and it's been amazing just providing opportunity for students. Those students in the last three years earned over a million dollars in scholarships to private wow. high school. And that is a huge testament. They're looking to, I mean, continue that same upper trajectory. Um, and they're also the students that are at these top performing schools are also staying there. Wow. And so it's not just a, we got in, it is like, we're continuing to stay at these schools. And I, I think that means a lot as well. Right. And, and Dave, I think I might cut you off. You were about to say something prior. Well, um, I, I just wanted to um, kind of circle back on something that Aaron said. Um, I, 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 had to, I was sitting here laughing when you were talking about the uh, governor's complaint. <laughs> You know, because I kind of know the background to that because I, I work for the state of Delaware. And any time that anything that happens with the state of Delaware, even with the school system, whether it's charter schools or, you know, one of the school districts or whatever, uh, <laughs> if a person, a client or a constituent or whatever the case may be, does not like the result of something that's happened or don't feel that things are happening quick enough for them. The first thing they do is call the governor's office. And that's how they figured that things will get taken care of because they called the governor's office and try to make things happen. So, yeah. And as soon as you call the governor's office, you're always going to get a reaction from the governor's office. Somebody's going to call you and they're going to say, well, what happened? <laughs> you know, and this type of thing. So I was laughing because I know all too well that call. Mm -hmm. Believe me, I do. So, I think it's interesting on the other side of it now, when I first came in, there was a lot of just skepticism and, and, and speculation. And and who is this guy? Um, no one knew me in the state. And so you, you read some stuff in my bio, which is which is nice. But no one in Delaware cares about that. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, you, What have you done here? Right. And so it's been interesting when there are issues that come up. If you call somebody and check on me now, somebody knows me. So there are certain um, leaders that you might call and I can't believe this happened. You mean Aaron? I'm going to check them right <laughs> now. But that's not like I, I, I've actually had advocates call um, and uh, check like they they know me because the work we do is I'll be at your house. I'll be at your barbecue. I'll be at your church. I'll be at your mosque. Um, and we are doing, we're, we're more about actions. And so it's not about like just making things look nice. And so because of those relationships and other people have seen that even when you, you try to post or, or there's some social media stuff, there's somebody going like, nah, they, you need to find out what's really going on. In times we've messed up, we own it. There's not, 
we as adults have messed up. And and so we, we will own that, um, but come see us. And so I think every parent in our school has my personal cell phone number. Okay. Number one question, why didn't you call me? If you have an issue going on and you have the numbers of, of deans, of assistant principals, of teachers. And so there's a number of people that we we have close relationships with that, like, let me know. And if we did wrong, then we'll we'll address that. But I, I'm happy and excited that there's been um, trust and relationships with our school, which I think is also why we have made some inroads in, in, in times of the COVID. We made some inroads with uh leading in STEM and some other areas that we we'll continue to press on and I, I look forward to the future of Eastside. Okay. All right. Well I will say this also and this is something in reference to something else that you said. Um being over there in the Riverside community. Um I grew up in the Riverside community. I'm from Riverside. I lived from in Riverside from the time I was six years old until I graduated from high school. Um, I went to Northeast Elementary School, mm-hmm. you know, and for those of us that came from that community, we loved Northeast Elementary School. Northeast became Martin Luther King. Then now is Eastside Charter. The one thing that always, um, always made me feel good about looking over in that area when I'm up in that area. Because I, I spent most, I lived in Wilmington most of my life, but I live in Newark now. It's being able to look over there and see a school, because that's very important for that area to have a school there, and to see the things that you're doing, and to see the things that, um, that you know, um, like what we just read about what you're doing over there, that's very important to people who have history mm-hmm. with that area. Okay, and especially with all the the changes that are being made over there, you know, we have the new housing project that's going up over there and so forth. And, you know, how the concentration of the mayor's office and everything is happening over in that area now. So it's important that we have people in place to be able to capture those children, to teach them well and to make sure that they get the proper education. Like I can truly say I had when I came up through there. So I didn't, you know, you and I have developed a relationship because of our love for the Eagles and and so forth and so forth. Go birds. And go birds. That's right. Mm -hmm. They did their thing on Sunday and that's, that's what, that's all that matters to us. Right. Um, But what I've also liked about what I've seen that you've been doing, because I pay attention to everything and Leonard will tell you, um, I'm a very well-connected person. Um, I keep track of a lot of things that are going on with people in, in the community. Even though I'm not in Wilmington, I'm still in Wilmington, if you feel me. Mm-hmm. So, and I pay attention. I've heard nothing but positive things going on over there at Eastside. And I really appreciate that. And that's one of the reasons we wanted to get you on this show, to be able to, to let you know we're watching. We're paying attention. We understand the things that, and then, of course, I know there's struggles. Mm-hmm. I know dealing with parents sometimes is not the easiest thing. I know dealing with the children is not the easiest thing either. I mean, I admire anybody 
who actually is in a classroom or in a school setting anymore with all of the craziness that's going on out there in the world today. So I want to ask you, when you have, when you hear these horror stories and you see these things that have been happening with schools all over the nation, how do you, how are you able to keep, you know, uh, I want to say a uh, protective bubble over Eastside Charter? That's, that's a, a very powerful question considering the time we're coming into after COVID. And so post COVID, we're seeing a number of educators have left the field. A number more are not coming in. We're also seeing uh, behaviors increase, not just in Delaware, I mean, just nationally. So you're seeing crime rates increase all across the nation. You've seen, um, there was a study that just came out this year looking at how children in higher need communities, so that's students in poverty and students of color, both have gone down significantly in math and reading all across the nation. And so you have uh, students that are underperforming academically. You have uh, student behaviors increasing, not just in school, but also outside of school. And then you have incredible educators that have just left the profession and those not coming in. So this is this is a high time of need. It's a high time of need. I think it, it matters to be in places where there's love. I think it matters when um, you can still build community and and deal with some some insanity, but know that we still love you. There's not one child in the school. I can walk in any classroom and tell kids I love them. And it's interesting for new kids to come into our community because they're like, what do you, whoa, whoa, like, what is this? Um, for the babies who've been with me since kindergarten are now in eighth grade and, and those that have graduated, nah, that's that's what we do. I might not feel like this is love when you might be correcting me. I might not feel like it's love when you are calling my mom. I might not feel like it's love when the parents and the family might be in opposition with the school's doing. But if you know that my ethos is love, you know that what the work we're doing is love, then it means a lot. I think the other piece of that is how do you make love into a verb? And so love in action looks like um, when when COVID hit, we made Eastside into a COVID testing site. Okay. So when the state was trying to uh, get people, especially people of color in uh, certain areas that, that um, were less trusting of institutions. In, in our zip code, there was testing being done of maybe 100 people at a time because a lot of people thought when COVID started that the test gave you COVID. <laughs> Not everybody. But yeah. there was certain people and, and, and things spreading. And so we don't trust what you guys are doing. Also, I want to be in those lines if that's where people have COVID. So we went from uh, we couldn't get people to test. And we were testing a thousand people every three hours in our area. Um, and then when the state tried to shut down the east side COVID testing site, um, they realized it was probably in the best interest to keep it open because we were testing people in our area as well as people outside the area. Love in Action looks like you build an honors program where I talked before about how those students, just by having access, are now able to not only get into top-notch schools, but also stay there. It's because we just provided opportunity. We, same students. So we, we have the same students that have been in our school. Um, there are some that come from outside and then built a program, and those students are outperforming students all across uh, in different areas. Love in Action means that if you know the number one um, 
the number one industry in the state of Delaware is STEM. So if you think about our finance industry, why we have no sales tax, you think about uh, the number of DuPonts and DuPont corporations that have spun off from that. And you think about uh, so many different groups that have come to Delaware, science, technology, engineering, and math. That's what our four industries are. Gore is based here. Camores is based here. DuPont is based here. International companies are based in Delaware, but when you walk into some of these meetings, you don't find too many Delawareans, let alone Wilmingtonians. So we've created, we're building a STEM hub. We, we break ground in January uh, on a $23 million project to provide access to STEM to anybody in the entire state, not just for East Side families. So which means that um, not only can students across the state, so students in uh at Bancroft, students at Coomba, students at uh, schools in, in Newark can come up, any child from the public, be run by the Wilmington Public Library, partnerships with Comores and with um, Barclays and a number of other organizations. So if a parent wants to find a new career, you come and we'll, we'll train you. Comores will have their own staff there to train you on that. Barclays will have their own staff there to train you because love and action means that if I want my parents to succeed, then I need to make sure that parents are having viable careers and making more money. It's a very simple equation. More money means less problems. So if more families have access to, to, to careers, you can do some amazing things and also make sure children have their needs met. So I think looking at what Eastside has been doing is, is being done with a lot of intention and then some great partnerships. And so you talked about the community. So shout out to Logan Herring, who is doing some incredible work at Reach Riverside. Uh, yeah. Who's, investing hundreds of millions of dollars and having people wake up and see the fact that you need to invest into an area that's successful. Shout out to Mark Kivis, who is on Thursday of this week uh, doing a grand opening. Mark Kivis runs Nerd It Now, which is now uh, behind Eastside's building. He has an incredible uh, tech program that is training people in the community on how to uh, fix and repair cell phones and um, tablets and, and computers, but then also providing a lot more access to technology and it's based right behind our school. And Markevis is somebody who came from Riverside. So he said, I want to develop and do my project here. He's lived all across the planet and came back. And then even when he came back to Wilmington, said, I got to come back to Riverside. And so he's doing his grand opening on Thursday, um, right behind us in a warehouse where he's doing some awesome work. So it's some incredible brothers out here that are stepping up um, and and doing some amazing work. And it's it's amazing to see it because it's really just, can you provide opportunity? Can you provide access? And can you find incredible leaders that are willing to step up and stand in the gap? Okay. Wow, that's cool. That's great. I didn't know about that program. Uh, yeah. What's Marquivis' last name? Marquivis Gideon. He's also the uh, president and founder of 100 Black Men here in Delaware as well. Okay. All right. All right. Cool. Cool. That's good. That's good. That's good information. That's definitely good information. All right. All right. Um, um, one other question. Um, um, going back to the pandemic, um, how were you able to survive the pandemic when so many schools had issues and were not able to survive? Uh, we we looked at what was taking place globally and realized it was coming. So we were preparing. So when it was, what was the date? March 
2020. Every school in the entire state shut down. It was a Friday the right. 13th. I remember that day. I and, remember very well, too. Yes. You know, before that had happened, we already were telling our staff, this is about to happen. We're about to shut down. It'll probably be for two weeks, maybe longer. Uh, <laughs> and our staff were preparing for a virtual environment. So we shut down March 13th. Uh, March 16th, we already had classes being taught online. Students already had packets. We had coordinated with food banks and with um, other community shelters and were decided that we could not provide our food services to families because of the pandemic. We would do it to those in our area, but then said, hey, let's partner with as many people as possible because your children live in many different zip codes so that you don't have to come to Eastside if you are uh, food insecure. You can actually go to this spot and we had certain lists already down and we have families that were dealing with uh, work isn't happening and I'm not getting paid. So we had more families have more need during that time. We're experiencing homelessness. And so our social workers and our counselors working overtime. So we just looked at what was taking place and we forecasted. And then we realized it was going to be longer. We spent every dollar and uh, bought computers before anybody else did because we said, we already know what's about to happen. I have an awesome board that allows us to focus on need and not focus on dollars, which means a lot. So there was never a question about, hey, I got to spend $50,000 tonight because this is going to be months long. Uh, go ahead and do it. We found out later about COVID funding and people started you know, providing the technology, but we weren't focused on that. What's interesting is that through the pandemic, we continue to build relationships. We continue to um, support. And then we're also working with other organizations. Like, here's our model. Here's our plan. Here's what we're doing, um, which I think allowed us to also be able to uh, just do a lot more work. But the pandemic was, I think, a, a great test to schools and, and to see what you're doing. And I feel like our community, in spite of, the the COVID. We're, we're not celebrating COVID. But in spite of that, we were able to continue to build community, um, continue to answer questions of families. And so I would do weekly chats and, and, and things like this. We even did a bunch of podcasts on our East Side uh, Facebook page where we were providing interviews with um, Emmy Award winners, with people from the Today Show, with um, uh, people from NBC who were coming out and doing some stuff and uh, the host of BattleBots uh, actually came on and we had a opera singer, one of the most prolifically known uh, black opera singers comes out of Philadelphia, travels the entire country, I mean the entire uh, planet, most of his times in Europe, comes right out of Philly and taught himself German. And so we started engaging more with our global network to try to figure out how to inspire students uh, during this time we still face the same issues from the pandemic with uh, our students' test scores going down as everyone else did. This We, we were not immune from it. And so uh, while students who were in our school were able to do some incredible things, students that did not come have been impacted. So we're, we're still grappling with that. But I think right now that same level of leadership and what we did before in creativity is what we're doing now to try to address the need. So that's why it's great to have a STEM hub so you can go hey, I need you to connect this work we're doing right now in this math class to you get a chance to meet with Mark Newman, who's CEO of Comores, which is a multi-billion trillion dollar company that's all across the planet um, and who's also a person of color. 
And so our students are trying to, we're trying to connect those dots a lot more. Um, and once the STEM hub is up, we'll be able to do that in 2024 a lot clearer. Wow. Okay. Cool. All right. Lynn? Yes. So, you know, I think my last question, and um, I think you kind of got to it a little bit. So I think before Dave asked his question, you were talking about kids in higher need communities. You were talking about the, um, uh, let's just say, you know, uh, learning took a hit during the hard COVID period. How, how, how are you or, you know, how did you get those kids back on track? So like, I'm just thinking during COVID when a lot of kids were probably learning via the computer and of course they couldn't attend school in person, there were probably some kids and specifically I'm thinking math, but there's probably some kids who were able to um, via the computer continue learning, you know, that curriculum throughout the year. And then there were probably some kids who were not able, you know, maybe computer just wasn't the best way for them to learn. And, um, and I'm just speaking generally this part, but, and they probably passed their current grade and then they moved to the next grade and now they're back in person. But there's a difference from the kids who kind of caught the year prior and the kids who were not, you know, did not understand the year prior. Like how, and I mean, how, or what was the plan to kind of get them back on track? We're still revising the plan. So we've been so Okay, gotcha. Full transparency. If somebody's listening, they figured it out, call me. Um, <laughs> things we've done. So, yes, students that were in school performed better than students that were not in school. Um, we also know that even though we had computers and students doing online work, it did not mean a family had the consistency because – right the gig economy was real during the pandemic. So you might not be able to get the 20 hours at one job and 20 to another because they're not doing the events they did. People aren't coming out like they used to. So now you're driving for Uber over here Uber, and then doing Uber Eats over here and DoorDash over here. And you're trying to figure out how to get a few hours this certain place. Then glad the holidays came because now you can do this other piece and you can bag at this certain time. And uh, so we had a number of families that were in transition during this time. And then on top of that, you have children that are home because we might live uh, six of us in one apartment, which includes some of our older uh, family members. So that means that we don't feel comfortable with the kids going to school. There was some reality there. And so you have a the kid who's six that wasn't able to teach himself for the better part of two years. Now that kid's back in school. Um, this is what is plaguing our entire nation, especially for the, those that are the most vulnerable. What have we done? We are uh, continue to recruit and retain the, the best educators we can find. Uh, we've done tiered interventions. And so we've done response to intervention, which means that uh, students, uh, we look at their their scores and then provide um, special support to them in math and in reading with those teachers uh, during a special block we have during the school day. Um Things we're also going to do is we're looking to revise curriculum right now. Like I'm in constant conversations about what we can do about that. We're looking to uh, increase our coaching and support for teachers because uh, things have shifted where you have students that have um, other concerns that came up because they've seen a lot in the last two years. We, we were dealing with not just the pandemic, but issues of violence and of death. And so how do you deal with trauma that's been exacerbated during this time? 
So we haven't figured out any of that and we're still working on it, but we are relentless to try to figure out how do we best serve our own children and we'll continue to do that. Gotcha. Wow. Okay. Well, it sounds like you guys got everything figured out and you got, um, and you're working on some things that are really, um, saying that the future is really bright with you guys. And I know, uh, like I said, you know, uh, I've been paying attention and I'm glad to hear that we have somebody like you on board and leading, leading that particular school and, and, and leading them into the future. So we definitely, um, definitely are glad that you took the time to come by and hang out with us and give us some information as to what is going on over there at East side. And, um, you know, um, I'm happy because like I said, you know, I got ties to that area and it means a lot to me what's going on over there. And I'm glad to know that it's in the hands of someone like you. I appreciate that. And your history as a Riverside resident, uh, that means a lot. And so I, I definitely appreciate you and all those that are, are rooting for us. Oh yeah, definitely. We are definitely rooting for you. So thank you for that. Thank you for that. Yep. Um, real, real, real quick, Aaron, is, is there any way where Dave Coker can come to school and like sign his name on a wall somewhere just for <laughs> generations <laughs> later? You know, at, at one time it was on the wall over there. It was. What was it in the bathroom? Was in the bathroom? That was uh, no, not in the oh, bathroom. Okay. Not in the bathroom. But that was before Martin Luther King gave it. I'm sure they got rid of it then. So you know. So, it, well, but uh, but uh, if you can, because we're actually about to. We've purchased the building that we're about to tear down uh, during the break, uh, oh. the winter break. So we're trying to figure out how to best utilize that building. And uh, we're about to, I think what we're going to do is ask the community to come out literally right on the physical building, on the exterior of it. Everything that they uh, want to uh, just remove in 2023. Mm. Uh, wow. So while That's Dave come and put his name to remove, but yeah. <laughs> thinking about uh, there's a lot of things we're trying to remove out of this area. Um, and personally, so there might be some things you're trying to get rid of. And so we'll be uh, sharing our social media, just how it's going to happen. And then we're going to tear the building down starting on 1219. Excavators come in and literally knock down this building on our campus so we can start uh, making way for our new STEM hub. So that'll be oh, coming wow. out this week. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, that's cool. That's really cool. Let me see. What could I write on there? Let me see. Maybe I could remove Lent. Okay. Out of- <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> you, put, uh, yeah, you put Ryan Patterson's name there oh, in the Dallas. Oh, Ryan Patterson. We'll or, let's let's remove the Cowboys. Too. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so. <laughs> but definitely Brian Patterson. But definitely. <laughs> Regina, we'll let Regina stay around, but we'll get rid of Brian. <laughs> you know, so. so. But, um, um, but that's great. That's good to know. And matter of fact, um, why don't you give us your social media information and contact information uh, for those who may want to reach out to you? Hopefully we got some people that are listening and might say, hey, maybe I want to check that out and maybe get my kid in over there. So, you know, so why don't you go ahead and get that information? Sure. You can check us out at www.eastsidechartersschool.org. You can also, um, so there's issues, there's information about our school and then also about enrollment and media. Um, Any of that is all right there. You can also check us out on uh, Facebook. 
And for Eastside Charter School, just look us up in Wilmington uh, and you'll see a lot of information there. A lot of our social media is there. We're also on Instagram at Eastside Charter School, um, but we we interact a lot more on Facebook. Uh, that, that's where I, I tend to find myself. So you can find us in those areas and also come by to the school anytime you want. Um, there'll be a lot of uh, things taking place in the next few weeks and months as we look to uh, take a school that was under-enrolled. Eastside was actually, we Eastside was given away for $1. North Arthur King School was closed. They couldn't get enough kids to come into the school. It was sold to Eastside for $1 uh, because they couldn't get kids to come to the building. And now we are over-enrolled. So we have to build a new addition to wow. it just to keep up with demand. So it's a, it's a one. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Wow. That's, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, kudos to you, sir. Kudos to what you're doing over there and everything that's going on over there. Okay. You guys are listening to news and trends with Dave and Lynn and our special guest, Mr. Aaron Bass, CEO and principal of Eastside Charter. He's going to hang out with us as we um, go into our other portion of the show and kind of talk about a few topics that we have on the show. Is that all right, Mr. Bass? Sounds good to me. Okay. All right. So our first story that we're going to talk about, um, I thought this was apropos. I came across this story. I thought it was interesting, and I just wanted to just give it, you know, give it a shout out. Um, But this story is about Ruby Bridges, who was the first child to integrate uh, integrate the um, all-white elementary schools in the South. Um, I never heard this story before, and I just kind of came across it. It's funny. I, I was looking for something to talk about, and it just popped up, and I was like, wow, okay, this is interesting, okay? So uh, apparently this story happened back on November the 14th, um, 1960. Wow, year I was born. Um, at the age of six, Ruby Bridges changed history and became the first African-American child to integrate an all-white elementary school in the South. Now, she was born in um, Tylertown, Mississippi, um, on September 1954, the daughter of a sharecropper. Um, I'm going to I'm going to read a section here that I wanted to kind of hit home about. Um it says as soon as Ruby entered William France Elementary. I wonder if Jerry Jones was there by the way. Um <laughs> oh okay, should I not said that? Okay, I'm sorry. Okay. Uh white families took their children out of the school. On the second day, a white girl broke the boycott and entered the school. After a few days, other white parents began bringing their children back to the school and the protests subsided. However, only one teacher, Barbara Henry, was willing to teach Ruby. For the remainder of the school year, Ruby was in a classroom all by herself with Mrs. Henry. Ruby was tormented routinely on her way to school. One woman threatened to poison her and another showed up with a black doll in a wooden coffin. The federal marshals had to escort her to the restroom to keep her safe. One of the marshals assigned to Ruby, Charles Burks, proudly said later that she showed a lot of courage. She never cried or whimpered, Burks said. She just marched along like a little soldier. 
The effects of Ruby's bravery took a toll on the Bridges family. Her father lost his job at the gas station. The grocery store where they shopped banned them from returning. The farm owner sent Ruby's grandparents from the farm they had sharecropped for over 25 years. In 1963, Norman Rockwell depicted Ruby's uh, courageous first day of school in a painting called The Problem We All Live With. It shows a black girl walking to school, escorted by four white men. The image graced the cover of the January 14, 1964 Look magazine. And this is a, this story, um, it kind of hit me when I read it. Um, when you look at racism back then, it was pretty bad. And of course, in you know, I just kind of kid kidded about it. But, you know, of course, we just recently had the story with um, Jerry Jones and what happened in Little Rock, Arkansas, um, when blacks integrated, uh, integrate, uh, in, I can't even get the word out. Integrate. Why can't I say the word? Leonard, it's your fault. Oh, wow. you, you, talk, you talking about when she integrated? Yeah, there you go. Okay. I couldn't get it out. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, but when I'm talking, and, you know, of course, with the picture of Jerry Jones um, standing in the background when that happened at the school that he attended. You know, when you look at these stories and you think about what's going on in the world today, and even though we're not having these type of problems with the schools, we're still having problems. Um, you know, we're there was a a few weeks in a row that Len and I were reading stories every day dealing with young people who was shooting up schools. Um, You know, and most of, most of the shootings were being done by people of opposite color of the people that were going to those schools. So it's really, um, it's really something that here it is all these years later, and we're still having some issues with people not wanting to be with other people because of the color of their skin. What's your thoughts on that? Um, what's your thoughts on this particular story? Um, Aaron, what do you think about that? I think for the young lady, it was a huge testament of courage to be that young. Um, and there's been uh, movies about her and, and writings and, and other pieces and, and to, to face all that adversity and still be a child. Um, and it's amazing living a time where people can go to the fact that somebody's bullied and that's the reason why they might act out and do some horrific scenes. And you have this young child that is bullied to the nth degree uh, just by the color of her skin by an entire community. And she has been still remarkable and amazing. Uh, as she's grown up. So I think that part is amazing. I think right now we're in a very different environment where um, you are seeing some similarities to to what took place back then, um, but you also have different people speaking out. And so social media, I, I don't know how Ruby Bridges would have been able to cope during this time of social media where you can twist anything, uh, yeah. have anybody believe anything, and uh, people that are uh, championing evil are even louder uh, and have a louder voice because they can find those that have similar opinions as to where 
in the eighties and nineties, you might just be the, the, the weird person that lives in the outskirts of a village or outskirts of a city somewhere. You might have 10,000 followers right now and can take over uh, the Capitol on January 6th. <laughs> that changes a lot. Um, for the day. And I, I also think about how uh, Kanye West is uh, now is, is spewing uh, Hitler propaganda yeah. uh, with people that even Donald Trump is saying, nah, it's a little bit too far. Right. So it's an interesting time right now. Yeah, it is. It is. And when you look at this, and I know she wrote a book called Through My Eyes but I'm by Ruby Bridges. And I know, um, for those of you that look online, you know, you can see pictures of her as she's all grown up now. Um, you know, she's, um, you know, she's in her late sixties now. And, um, you know, to be able to stand the testament of time. And, and there's one particular picture where you see her walking with the uh, federal agents there. Uh, <laughs> and she's just a little thing, you know, and, you know, that's a very imposing picture to see. But then even still, you see how stoic she is. And, and, and um, you know, for her to have to go through all of that just to go to school. Um, and now here we are, we flash forward to now. I know that the situations are, are different now. I mean, um, I was a part of the whole um, uh, de- desegregation um, thing that happened here in Delaware. Um, my high school uh, P.S. DuPont, that year, 1978, was the last year for that particular high school because they decided that they were going to close that school when they decided to integrate all the schools the following year, and, and DSEG came in. And, you know, so Wilmington, the city of Wilmington still doesn't have a city high school, you know, um, other, you know, we have Howard, but that's considered a Votech school. But, you know, um, that's something I know they're working on. But still, you know, P.S. DuPont was all black school at the time. And, you know, we haven't had anything like that since then. So I understand, um, you know, that change change is always going to come, as the song says. But here we are. I know we're in a better we're supposed to be in a better day and time, which we are. And I, I, I really I really um, appreciate the bravery and everything that this young lady had and being able to take a stand and their parents having to deal with everything that they had to deal with. But here we are. And, you know, thanks to people like her, you know, we wouldn't be able to have the choices that we do, especially a choice like going to an East Side Charter School. That's, that's my thoughts on it. All right. So moving on to our next story. Lynn? Yep. So um, <clears throat> our next one, in fact, let me bring it up real quick. But just to comment on the Ruby Bridges, um, one of my thoughts, the first thought I had is, if anyone's seen the picture of her, her currently, she looks good, you know, yes, and and this kind of reminds me that, you know, a lot of times we hear these stories and when we hear Ruby Bridges, the Little Rock Nine, you know, we're thinking, well, a lot of times we have the image that this happened so long ago that these people aren't like on our live now. But to see the picture of Ruby Bridges, we realize, OK, this happened in our parents' lifetime, in our grandparents' lifetime. So 
you know, these, the issues that people had with segregation and desegregation wasn't, you know, this was in our generation and we had people who lived through it. And then the other question I had too, just kind of thinking was, um, you know, just kind of like they went to it a little bit, but like her innocence where I wonder if she fully knew what was happening, you know, cause like, I know like when my child was, let's say, and I'm sure she's probably six roughly, um, when my child was five or six, taking them into certain situations, like even though they didn't feel comfortable and they can recognize some things, like did she fully, and it was probably a good thing that she didn't fully recognize that there were a bunch of white people who hated her because of the color of her skin and they did not even want her to be there because of the color of her skin. And I say it just because when you see it, like, like Dave said, she looks so innocent. So, you know, I, I, I thought that was interesting. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, and, and it's, a lot of the people that we've read about over the history that had, you know, came through race type situations, you know, it's amazing, too, because you figure, you know, you always say to yourself, why them? Well, <laughs> apparently somebody knew and apparently it must have been God who knew it had to be them. You know, because they could do it and they can get through this. You know, when you read about the Jackie Robinsons and the Martin Luther Kings and all of these type of people and, you know, a Ruby Bridges who may not have a name as big as some of the other ones. But when you look at this and you look at the pictures, there was a painting done about her. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it just says a lot, you know, about it had to be her and it had to, no matter what she might have been thinking at the time. I'm sure she was scared. I'm sure there was a lot of fear, but she was protected. And here it is years later and you see the pictures of her now and she looks great. You know, yeah, so she does. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. All right. All right. So, uh, moving on to our next story. And, uh, so Aaron and Dave, I'm not sure if y'all, if y'all have seen it, but there has been a picture of, um, JC Penny floating around the internet. <laughs> And um, this was my first time finding it out, but JC stands for John Cash Penny. So that, that was his full name. Of course, the founder of the JC Penny that we're familiar with. So this picture has been going around the internet. I think both of you can probably see it. And it's funny because when I passed it, the caption says, um, my first time ever seeing a picture of JC Penny. It has the thinking emoji and it has um, IDK. I don't know, man. And what they're referring to is the picture of J.C. Penny. They're they're debating on whether J.C. Penny is black or if he's white. And of course, you know we see a lot of these old pictures. So for everyone who who's listening, y'all just gonna have to imagine with us. But for Aaron and Dave, so I'm just going through the slides. So this right here says, "I don't know, man." Not sure if he's beating these allegations. And it's funny because when I look at it, uh, my uncle, who is from Louisiana, his younger picture looks, well, I'm sorry, not his younger picture, but he has a picture that looks just like this. So, you know, and we know there are a lot of black people who kind of just have that look, you know, a little bit straighter hair. Um, The next picture says, nah, for real, though. 
maybe this is why they made South Pole jeans. So of course, you know, we got the <laughs> we got the North Pole and the South Pole. Mm. Now next one said, nah, you know, he definitely looks like he could be Howard University class of 1907. And they are wow. not lying when they say that. And then the next one says he definitely looks like one of y'all frat founders. And uh, I uh, I do want to say happy Founders Day to all the men of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. And I will say the pictures that we see of the Alpha um, Fraternity founders, he, he looks like he could kind of blend in with that. Now, well, the most interesting thing I saw, and this was something I had never heard of before. So there is um, a book, and I'm not sure what book it is. It wasn't mentioned, but the book labels um the names of offspring of mixed children and what they're called so um Aaron and in fact Aaron have, have have you ever heard of anything like this of the offspring yeah I'm trying to read yeah so I'm I'm about to read it a sec Dave have you heard anything like this no, this is the first I've seen. Okay. Yeah. I've so, never... so, so this is what it says. So some of it we, we kind of know, or, you know, we know what black people would have been called. So the first one is a black person mixed with a white person is called a mulatto. Okay. So, yeah. I mean, of course, I'm sure we heard that. Yeah. Right. A, a mulatto mixed with a white person was called a musty or a musty. Mm. A mulatto mixed with a black person was called a mongrel, a musty, and of course, a musty is a mulatto and a white person's offspring is a musty. A musty mixed with a white person was called a fusty. A fusty mixed with, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, a fusty mixed with a white person was called a dusty. And, you know, I mean, it's interesting. This was the first time I heard it. I don't know what book this came from, but, um, you know, just hearing this classification and, you know, even though people kind of laughed at the name, someone said, are you serious? They were really out here calling people musty, fusty and dusty. But, you know, I, I thought it was interesting. That's the first time I ever heard that classification. I'm, I think usually we hear mulatto, you know, I mean, it's not often used, but, you know, we hear it periodically. So, you know, I, I just thought that was interesting. I thought that was, you know, interesting knowledge. Wow. Uh, <laughs> I'm speechless, first of all. I mean, right. I know about mulatto, and I, mm-hmm. I actually know about mongrel, too. But these okay. other ones, I've never yeah. heard of you. I mean, that's that's really unbelievable. New Orleans was big on that, and the octoroons, and the, uh, a lot of... Uh, but this this is nothing new throughout slavery. You think about President Jefferson, and right. uh, you think about a, a lot of different... Uh, Slave owners at the time where uh, miscegenation was a real thing. Even mm-hmm. uh, there's a crazy time in Australia where, uh, and there's a the doc, uh, the movie came out Rabbit Proof Rabbit Proof Friends, where the Australian government allowed um, for the miscegenation of the uh, the local population that you could try to actually uh, get the black out of them, and so white men were allowed to actually go around and rape uh in the indigenous population oh wow and this isn't like the 1800s this is like the 1950s 60s wow 
um, and a coordinated effort. So race is amazing in that I've, it's the only thing I know of in all of uh, probably since the 15th century that has been that dominant in the psyche. That mm-hmm. You don't find that with gender. You don't find that with class. Race is the only place that you might see people um, spend that much time and effort right. and hatred to address one thing that's genetic difference. Right. It's, it's, it's funny, too. I noticed uh, down there in the comment section, it said, look at Jay Sean Chauncey Penny. Is that are they making reference to J.C. Penny? Yeah, so they they are joking since since they thought he's black. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> but that is too funny. That is too funny. So, but it's funny. There was a I know when I was a kid, um, and for for those of you who are uh, who rem- um, know anything about, there's a church over in Southbridge called uh, Mount Joy, which was my mm-hmm. family church. My grandmother lived up the street from there where most of my family went to J uh went to um Mount uh Mount Joy Church. And when I was a kid there was a pastor there and his name is Reverend Chauncey. He looked just like JC Penny as an older man. Right. The same complexion. Now he, he classified it as black. But that that picture right there, that's what Reverend Chauncey looked like. Right. You know, and it's funny when I looked at it, I said, oh, he looks like Reverend Charles. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, you know, so, but I, I, I could see, you know, of course, you know, there was some mixing going on back then. Oh, yeah. um, but, you know, but that's interesting. I'd never seen a picture of J.C. Penny before. So that was the first time I ever seen that. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I thought that was interesting, too. And, you know, when I first saw it and I scrolled through, I was like, OK, he looks like, you know, these are all black and white pictures too. So, you know, but just, you know, that, that look, those features, um, I, I would not be surprised. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's interesting. <laughs> it's very interesting. All right. So okay. moving on to our next story. And uh, unfortunately this also deals with race. So <laughs> what I'm going to do, is I'm going to play the video first and then I'm going to, um, have a kind of like a dis my thoughts here i mean we just never lived so i'm sorry let me preface it for anyone listening these are two white girls um they look like teenagers who are talking to a reporter and they're talking about people kind of moving into the neighborhood moving into their city here i mean we just never lived well, which is very close enough to us, so we just never around them, really. Isn't that part I mean, of what makes it difficult when you live 15 or 17 years of your life and then start doing something different all of a sudden? Well, I think, like, if a, a Spanish or a Chinese person came here, it wouldn't be hard to get along with them. It's just that the Negroes are what you might say more different to us than a Spanish person might be. Anything to do with anything. Okay, so... As I said, what it is, is is two white, they look like teenagers, two white teenage girls speaking to a reporter. And basically what they're saying is if there are Spanish or Chinese people who would be moving into their community, they don't feel like they would be hard to get along with. But if it's Negroes, 
they just feel like, you know, they're just too different. They won't be able to get along with Negroes. Um, and I'm going to start with you, Aaron. Why do you feel like, and I, I'm not sure how to say, but why do you feel like Spanish and Chinese and Mexican are like safe minorities where for some reason, you know, kind of like they say like, okay, like, you know, black people are, you know, are more of a, an issue when we move into communities. Why is that the case? Uh, because you have to be taught to hate and also taught who to hate. And if you don't have a counter to that counter-representation, then you accept what you've been told is truth. Right. And so until we as a race, especially here in America, can figure out how to communicate, realize there's a lot of differences even within races. Uh, there, there are Black people who don't like other Black people. It has nothing to do with their race. It's because of the, the content of who they are. Um, and the same thing happens in every race. And so there are white people that believe that, uh, don't like other white people and Asians, et cetera. And so um, I find it interesting with a lot more in common than we have that separates us. But you you have to understand that somebody has to be benefiting from hatred. Otherwise, why would you hate right. a race? So why are we allowing any group to benefit from division and feed into those pieces? That That's something very powerful that, that I think the more we communicate, the more we have opportunities to come together, the more we realize that this is just nonsense. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. Dave, I, I I I see you thinking over there, pondering what. Well, yeah, yeah, man, because this goes back so long, man. Um, and you know, of course, we can talk about you know our Black history as far as you know this type of thing. And it's funny because I had to laugh as I was watching the video. I was laughing at the other girl because if you checked her body language, she was like, she. I, I want no parts of this. Uh, <laughs> he's doing all the talking, <laughs> you know, that type of thing, you know. <laughs> so, but I mean, this goes back to the Bible days, man, when they were hating on Jesus back then. And, the, you right. know, I mean, you know, um, you have to be taught, like Aaron said, there's no way around it. You know, if you are a child coming to the world, if you ever put, if you take a child who's maybe four or five years old and you stick them in a group of children, all different races. What do what's that child going to do? They're going to go over and play, right? But if you take that same child prior to letting them go and join that group of people, and you say, "You see that one there? Don't talk to that one. You see that one there? Don't talk to that one. That one smells. That one's dirty. Only talk to that one over there. It might be the white child, right? You know. Then that's where the racism part comes in. And if you're putting that in somebody's head, that's where that's where it starts. And that's how it starts to become a bigger issue because somebody is feeding that person. So obviously somebody fed these people, um, you know, that there's something wrong with black people moving into your neighborhood. You even still see it now. I mean, <clears throat> you and I live in neighborhoods that 
I'm sure. Well, you told me. <laughs> you know, you had some. You know, you you've had some issues over there, right? You know, yeah. People... I mean, yeah, very random. But I'm I'm sure. To be honest, I'm sure because we were black. Yeah, there you go. Um, and then look, Aaron. Uh, you know, my partner owns a Here mobile. Goes. <laughs> Wait, no, I'm, no, I'm not. Uh, no, but listen to me. He owns a mobile park down in Alabama. Okay, him and his wife had this park together that they run and they own. Tell them about what happened when you showed up for the first time at this trailer park as the owner of this park. So, yeah. So, I mean, when we go to, went to go speak to the residents, um, who, and I mean, there were only about eight residents there. I mean, with them, everything was cool, you know, no issues. I was actually surprised how easy it went, but when we had contractors that came out, they kept on saying, now you, you, you own this. Hold on. <laughs> you own no, not the home. You own the whole park. And we're like, yeah, no, like the whole park. Yes. Y'all, y'all own it or y'all man? No, we own it. And I mean, like every contractor who came and then they all, and I mean, we didn't take it as insult, but they were like, man, like, you know, y'all are, you know, okay, good for y'all, you know? So, but I mean, it, it, it was unbelievable to a lot of the, <laughs> the contractors. It's unbelievable to me too. And I'm not a contractor. I mean, but anyway, <laughs> I can't lie. Uh, three years ago, it was unbelievable to me too. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that that tells you how far we've come over the years. So there you go. So, but, um, you know, but like I said, it all starts with the minds of others that causes that kind of issue. So, yeah, yeah. So, right. I mean, yeah. So I just want to bring it up because I just thought it was interesting how Spanish Chinese were safe, but you know those those Negroes. Where uh, you know, kind of like a different breed. Yeah, All right, and then the the last story before we get to Dave's favorite part of the show. <laughs> so, um, okay, so well, let, let me tell the story first. So, I was scrolling through Instagram innocently, Dave, and on one of the people I follow, when I get to their page, they are twerking in the camera, like full twerking, you know, full twerk. <laughs> and, you know, I really don't follow, you know, those type of people. And I'm like, who, you know, who is this? Cause all I see is backside. So I go to their profile and I read their profile and their profile is very professional president of this CEO of this, um, founder of HBCU, you know, excellence, something, something. And, you know, I'm just so surprised about how twerk culture has come around where, you know, and I, well, hold on. So let, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be very safe, Dave. So <laughs> let me read a definition of twerking that I found on the internet, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, of course, this is subjective because I know people say the, you know, twerking kind of came from, you know, that's a, a cultural thing. But this was a definition I saw on the Internet that I'd like to use for this example. It says the goal of twerking as the Internet delights in it is to move your butt and hips in a sexually provocative manner. 
um, you know, the goal is to, um, you know, attract and gain attention. So I kind of want to speak about how, um, and Dave, I'm, I'm going to lead you off on this question, but, you know, how do you feel like twerk culture, um, especially when it comes to our Black women, is something we should should or should not be concerned about? And I say that in terms of when I saw it, I was a little disappointed in the person. Like, I can see if you're dancing, I can, you know, like if you're at a party, you know, where I can see more if you're at the party. But this person was specifically like in their house, had the camera set up just so they could like twerk in front of the camera. And, you know, this was a very professional person, you know, um, CEO of an organization, founder of a nonprofit. And, you know, it just kind of made me, to be honest, kind of think differently about the person. Um, I know some people I say is just dancing, but it was just, I felt like it was, um, I guess maybe a little off brand for, you know, what she represents. Um, and, you know, of course, I also think about how people got on Lizzo and, you know, Megan the Stallion, who's a twerker, but then you kind of see her winning all these awards outside of music. But, you know, Dave, what what are your thoughts? Do you think uh, twerk culture has kind of gone too far or do you think it's just, you know, the sign of the time? Well, I think it's a little bit of both, Leonard. I mean, it has gone too far, but it's also a sign of the time. Um, I think you um, well, remember, we did a story um, not too long ago about the young lady was running for public office. Yes. Yep. Yeah. She was, she was, um, Aaron, Aaron, if you didn't see it, she was a senator out of Boston, senator rep, running for senator or representing out of Boston. She was in a bathing suit on the beach and she was twerking on a handstand. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. But, you know, so, you know, the whole thing about twerking, and I think what's happening is it's a way to get noticed mm-hmm. and people are using it to get noticed. I mean, you know, if you stop and you twerk, somebody's going to pay attention to you. OK. And that, you know, whether it's good attention or it's bad attention, it's attention. When you you mentioned Cardi B, you mentioned um, well, you mentioned Megan Stallion. Excuse me, Cardi B. You can met some of the biggest biggest artists. Even I even saw um, Taylor Swift doing it one night. Uh, oh, wow. I, you know, but, but you know, but it's all about getting that attention. These are some of the biggest um, and highest paid artists in the world, and so if they're doing it, they make it. They make it. Um, you know, they they make it um, acceptable for other people. I mean, I. Aaron, I look. Have you ever seen any kids in your school doing it? I don't know if I recall any middle school children ever twerking at Eastside. I, I don't know. If I okay, don't. that's good. That's good. <laughs> hey, uh, know, right, right answer. Right answer. <laughs> yeah. Okay, but that's that's because he, you know, he got, he got it handled over there. But you know, a lot of these kids, man, you know, of course they see what's going on on TV and. You know, streaming services and all this stuff, and they get a chance to see, um, you know, their favorite stars doing it, and it makes it, it makes it acceptable. You know, and then if you got your mom, your grandma, somebody doing it as well, oh my you, know, <laughs> I mean, you know, you know, think about it. You know, you got a lot of you got a lot of young people out here 
you know, mom, mom might be 20 something. Grandma might be 40. You know, the great grandmother might be 60 and they're all doing it. You know what I'm saying? So um, it's, 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 it's where we are right now. It's made stars into a lot of people. I mean, a, a lot of people in the stars and, and it's, um, you know, I, you know, I hate to see it, you know, when it's inappropriate and then you have somebody with that type of resume out there doing it that just says that they felt, well, um, this is my opinion, of course, it just says that they felt, um, you know, um, the pressure of, you know, doing something like that to either get attention or to get their point across, whatever the case may be. Um, I'm not a big fan. Um, you know, I mean, I hate looking at Megan when she does it. I'm winking over here. I hate that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I hate looking. I hate looking at Cardi B and all these people when they do it. But it's just one of it's just one of those things that we're we're dealing with these days. That's all. That's that's my opinion. I'm sticking with it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so anybody want to add anything else there? Gotcha. All right, and then our last, um, so Aaron, this is Dave's favorite part. This is Dave's corner where he gets to ask his question to try to <clears throat> make it go, hmm. So Dave's corner question, you're driving a car and can only make two turns. Oh, I'm sorry, that's correct. You mean make one turn, right? I mean, make one turn. But- okay, make one turn. A right turn takes you to wealth. And the left turn takes you to an opportunity to bring someone very close to you that you have lost. I'm sorry, bring back somebody very close to you that you have lost. Which turn would you make? And I guess we'll, we'll start with Dave. Oh, try to set me up, huh? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm going to, I'm going to make the turn. I'm going to make that left turn. Um, because that person I want to bring back is my mother, and so it's not a, it's not even a hard question for me. I'm going to make that left turn, and and because if I can just be able to spend some time with her again, that's the all that's all the wealth I need. So I'm good with that left turn. Okay, just uh, well, what about you, Aaron? I'm going uh, for the money. <laughs> I'm gonna go for the the wealth, long term investments. Um, <laughs> I've, my my mother and father are both still living, and so mm-hmm. those I've lost that are close to me. I've the people I've lost in my life, I've made peace with, right? And I feel like those people would love for me to hit the lottery too. So mm-hmm. I'm gonna <laughs> touch and agree on that one. Right. <laughs> and 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 Dave, I can't lie. I'm. I think I'm gonna go for the wealth too. And my reasoning is um, I feel like the people who I've lost who are very close to me, th- they would want me to go for that money, you know, and, and not not in a selfish way, but just in terms of, you know, a, a legacy, generational wealth. Um, my mom, who was probably the closest person who I lost, you know, she always wanted to make sure my kids were taken care of. Like, like that, that was her, you know, she's like, no matter what happens, you know, even to the point where she didn't even care about me, like, I don't care about you, 
but you know, make, <laughs> make, make sure them grandkids are taken care of. So with that wealth, you know, I would definitely make sure they were taken care of. Okay. All right. Well, all right. <laughs> Don't be the money. Yeah. Well, no, no, Dave. Not for you. It's for the grandkids. No, no I'm talking about y'all. Y'all ain't oh, yeah. playing, man. Yeah. Show me the money, man. Okay. All right. Okay. Mm-hmm. I ain't mad at you. I ain't mad at y'all at all. Okay. All right. Well, hey, uh, we'd be curious, folks, to see how you would answer that question. So definitely write in and let, let us know um, how you would handle that left or right turn and um, what you would do in that situation. We always uh, find it interesting in what you have to say and your feedback is very valuable to us. So thank you for uh, taking the time to uh, listen to our show today. Mr. Bass, can you do me a favor and just um, give your information one more time? Sure. Aaron Bass, you can find us at Facebook, Eastside Charter School, or on Instagram. Okay. And we want to thank you for taking the time to hang out with us. Definitely. In. Definitely after an Eagles win on Sunday, <laughs> your heart out. Um, you know, we don't care about the Cowboys, so we're not even talking about them at the moment. So Also, but, Eagles uh, are guaranteed a playoff spot. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah that's right. We we, we we didn't lock doors in. What y'all going to do? What y'all going to do? Anyway, um, so, um, but we thank go you. Caravel. Go Caravel. Yeah, go, yeah, Caravel. Go Caravel. Go Caravel. Definitely go Caravel, too. But thank, uh, thank you for taking the time to join us the, um, this evening. And it was definitely a pleasure to have you on. Pleasure to be here, brothers. Thank you for allowing me the, the time and space on here. Okay. All right. Um, everyone join us on Friday um, when we do our weekend roundup. You'll be able um, to hear us talk about, you know, fun topic. Um, make sure you tune in to last week's show where we talked about uh, the the uh, some of the top directors hating on the Marvel Universe <laughs> and saying that they're not making stars over there. You know, did you, did you hear about that um, whole thing, Aaron? No, what what do I mean? Uh, yeah, it was a uh, what you call Quentin Tarantino had made a comment saying that the Marvel Universe um, movies don't make stars; that their characters are the stars. And then you know he had something to say about Chadwick Boseman and saying that Chadwick, Chadwick, even though he played the part Black Panther so well, he wasn't the star of the movie. The Black Panther was the star of the movie, and Samuel Jackson was in an interview and he clapped, you know, that's his boy, Quentin Tarantino. And he clapped back at Quentin Tarantino saying, what's he talking about? He said, man, he said, I played Nick Fury all this time. He said, he said, I love playing that character. And he's up there talking about, we ain't making stars. He said, he needs to look at our roster of the people who have gone on to have great careers because of these movies. And we won't even talk about the money that's being made. They're just hating. Right. You know, you got to listen, listen to the interview you, um, if you get a chance. You'll see what we were talking about. I'm sorry. You, who who said that, those things? Um, Quentin Tarantino. What's what's the last thing that person's done? It's been a minute. <laughs> uh, right. It's been a minute. Um, I guess Django, I guess. Uh, has he done anything since Django? I'm not sure. And you know, Samuel Jackson has starred in at least three or four of his movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... Okay. Yeah, and and uh, you know who else chimed in? Martin Scorsese. 
Okay. And he said the same thing as Quentin Tarantino. Oh, oh Hateful Eight. Did he he did that, right? That was the last movie, right? Hateful Eight. But that was a remake. That's twenty. Yeah, but that was I think that was the last movie that he that he did. Uh he also did one in two thousand nineteen, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh yeah, he did that too. Yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. So what's the last Marvel movie? <laughs> right. I know they 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 had uh three of them this year, all blockbusters. <laughs> Uh, me and Leonard, we went to town talking about that one. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's all hate. It's all hate, man. You know, we won't even get into what the real, what the real thing is going on there, but that's a whole nother story. So, but anyway, this, uh, guys tune in on Friday, six o'clock. That's when we have our weekend roundup and we will talk to you then. Okay. Everyone have a good night. Have a good one. Happy holidays, everybody. You too. Tune in next week, ladies and gentlemen, for another edition of News and Trends with your hosts, Dave and Lynn.